welcome to the Faith and Good Counsel Show, where we hope to inspire joy-filled lives through conversations at the crossroad of mental health, wellness, and faith. And now your host, Stacy Galino. I'm so glad you're joining me here again today on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. I'm really excited about this episode because I have a return guest, one of my favorite, favorite guests of all time, and in fact, one of the most highly downloaded guests in past episodes of the Faith and Good Counsel Show, none other than Allison Ricciardi. Allison is a licensed mental health counselor in the great state of New York, and she is the founder, y'all. You know you've heard me speak many, many times about catholictherapist.com. Well, she is the founder of that great organization that I refer you to so very, very often at catholictherapist.com. So I want to welcome Allison Ricciardi back to the show. And thank you, Allison, for making time for us today. Oh, it's great to be here. It has been a long time, so I'm looking forward to it. Way too long. And listen, y'all, we just spent some good time together, didn't we, Allison, um, at the recent Catholic Psychotherapy Association meeting, which you know, I love the sessions. I always love the sessions and the talks, but it's it's also about meeting with like-minded professionals and people. And I really enjoyed spending time with you this past April. Yeah, we had we had a great time. It was it was a great conference this year. It truly, truly was. So I'm thankful, you know, that you have you're such a busy lady. I know I am too. And it's so hard to get our schedules to collide, but you're here with us today. And there were so many topics that you and I kind of tossed around, but gotta tell you. I'm loving two uh, topics in particular that you shared. Um, you do a lot of writing, in fact, uh, not only on your blog at RaphaelRemedy.com, but also at Mind and Spirit, which is MindSpirit.com. And there was a particular article that rose to the top for me. Um, I could talk a lot of, here about gift of self versus selfishness versus being self-centered here on the Faith and Good Counsel show and in live, live speaking events and things like that as well. People know where I stand about that. And, and uh, you know, I'm always trying to help not only myself, but everyone else to to learn to be a gift of self. And I really loved this article that you wrote at Mind and Spirit, Integrated Psychology and Faith. Uh, the the title is self-centeredness or selfishness is there a difference and i loved that you used good great great media in fact you used a movie that i've got to admit i've only seen once or twice in my adult oh, wow. life i know what is this is wrong okay it's just so wrong <laughs> i'm oh, sorry wow. to say 20 times I know, but listen, I'm going to get kaboomed today, I know, with more about old George Bailey and Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. So you used that to teach us about self-centeredness versus selfishness. So kind of take us through that, would you? Well, first, anybody who hasn't seen that movie, you really need to see it. Um, point I was trying to make in that movie, and most people, I think, are familiar with the movie, that is the story of George Bailey. And um, we watch him grow up, and he just wants to get out of, Bedford Falls, and he just has all these great hopes and dreams, and he's always kind of like pulled back by, by doing really what is the right thing, but he's frustrated, you know? So, you know, ta- you know we, we watch him grow up, and we come to a point in the movie where um, $8,000 is missing, and he's just had it. He lost it. He comes home, he's yelling at the kids, he's ready to throw something. It's, it's awful. And I've often mentioned to clients that if you were to just tune into that movie at that point, and you never saw the movie before, 
you would think, number one, that George Bailey is a horrible person, and that this might be a movie about domestic abuse. But because we've watched him grow up, we see that there's another story here, that this is not a selfish, horrible person, but a really good person who's just frustrated. And I think when we're dealing with people in our lives, it's easy to make judgments about them being selfish or self-centered or whatever it is. But we are usually walking into the middle of their life somehow, and particularly with our parents. You know, we didn't, we didn't see them grow up. I mean, we're, we're entering in the middle of their lives. So we don't know what preceded. So we have to be very careful about judging people, whether or not they're selfish or not. And I think that the point I was trying to make in the article is that when we're preoccupied with our own pain, if we've suffered, if we're going through something, whether it's a health challenge, an emotional challenge, we, we get preoccupied, we get self-centered. And we're not necessarily being selfish. Selfishness is more of a disposition toward the self, not really caring about other people. So we bring in the other character, the famous character, Mr. Potter. Now, he's a gruff, horrible, ornery old man, and he's very selfish. And in fact, George gets to see what life would have been like had he not been born. And Mr. Potter had prevailed. And it's an ugly, selfish world, kind of similar to the one we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, so I think it's really, we have to make that distinction between what is selfish, what is self-centered, and how do we become selfless? I mean, I think that's a really important um, thing to look at as well. How do we, how do we achieve that? Well, you just asked my next question, because, you know, how do we achieve that? You know, because when we are behaving in a selfish manner, you know, you can really, you do get closed in on yourself and you begin to see, you know, the world only as it exists between how things are affecting you. But but in fact, our own selfishness, our selfish thoughts, words, behaviors, actions, you know, the ways we behave in relationship affect other people, the people that we love and and really society at large, you know, I mean, think about, again, just the world we're living in. So, so how do we distinguish? How can we become more as a gift of self and less self-centered when we are in pain? Okay, first, I think we, we need to always acknowledge what we're feeling and acknowledge our pain, because there are times that we can't be as selfless as we'd like to be. Other times, there are many people who may appear selfless because they're doing for others all the time, but they're really not. They're doing that for whatever response they're hoping to get. And um, and when we're around somebody like that, they may be doing a lot for us, and yet we feel uncomfortable, like they're doing too much and they're expecting something in return, almost like they're extorting from us. So I think we, you know... I think what I want to look at is this. I mean, if you look at children, babies, let's say an infant, an infant is crying at three in the morning because he's hungry. He's not thinking, like, gee, mom's sleeping, maybe I should wait. You know, of course not. He's self-centered, which he is by nature, and that's a self-preservative thing, right? We, You know, children are self-centered. They need to have their needs met. As we grow, and this is, I think, the key to raising children, is to help them to learn how to have their needs met and yet have an other-centered focus. All right, so you wouldn't expect somebody who's starving to, you know, go out there and start doing charity work, all right? They need to find a way to feed their family first. So I think the first thing is to look and say, all right, if, I'm, if, I, if I am being selfish or something in your life appears selfish, is there an unmet need that we need to look at first, all right? So 
Um, I'm, I talked about it in the article. I had a close friend of the family, and he was always so affirming and wonderful. And the last time I saw him, he had gotten, you know, um, o- you know, older and moved to another state after his wife had died. And the last time he came over, he was very uh, preoccupied. He wasn't feeling well. Um, he wasn't present. And I felt sad, but I also understood that, you know, he's just, he's not feeling well right now. And sometimes we see that happen with the elderly because their aches and pains, their fears, whatever, they can't really be present to us. So I think the first thing maybe in terms of helping others is to, to look at their unmet needs. Try to look and say, right, what's really going on in this person's life? Before I accuse them of being selfish and we get into, you know, kind of fisticuffs here, what's really going on, <laughs> Yeah. you know? And then I think for our, our own selves to say, all right, you know, I, I know myself over the years when I was going through a bad time or whatever, you know, after you try to solve your problem and you can't, or, you know, it's, but certain things you have to wait on God or certain things that are just, they are what they are. There's always somebody in worse shape than me. So I would try to look for those people and say, all right, well, is there like an elderly person I can go visit? Is there a friend who's having a harder time? And it really does take the focus off ourselves. But I think we have to be healthy and say, all right, I need to meet these needs or ask to have these needs met and not keep burying them as some kind of a martyr because it, it actually works against us. We wind up actually being more selfish in the long run that way. Yeah. You know, golly, so many points are, are ringing in my head of avenues to go with you with this. But I love that you brought <laughs> up, yeah, the intention for which we are doing things when it can seem that we're doing all these good, good things. But really, it could actually be maybe rooted in a little bit of pride or selfishness mm-hmm. because we're looking for the response from other people or that martyrdom that you're just, you know, you're mentioning mm-hmm. here or the, this this sort of victim persona that look at me, look at all I'm doing and Nobody appreciates me and what have you. It, it, you end up being so miserable. Um, and it's, I've, yeah. I've found in, in my own work and, um, you know, friends and family and, and, and work situations that it can be a real hard cycle to break in people. And some people end up, Allison, I'm sure you've seen this too. And maybe we could even think maybe Mr. Potter might have been somewhere in there that they mm-hmm. expend their entire lives caught in this terrible, you know, tornado of, of inwardness and, Yep. pity and victim and martyrdom and they're just it what a it's so sad really but yeah. it's so hard to be with these people too and so i guess my question would be so if we're on the receiving end of having you know to interact whether it be a family member or um maybe maybe it's a colleague maybe it's a work a workplace situation or maybe it's even a client you know sometimes let's get real sometimes in client situations it can be tough (laughs) you know how do we respond in a selfless non-dormatty kind of way Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think the first thing is to is to really have healthy boundaries all right we need to know where we end and somebody else begins and what is really expected of us all right so let's say yeah it's it's a work person you know somebody that you work with and she's got all sorts of problems and she's asking you for help once in a while, it might be okay to say, all right, you know what, I'm going to take her out to dinner tonight and try to, you know, kind of be there for her. But if you've got a husband and children at home who are expecting you home and need your attention, you can't do that on a regular basis. All right, so that's an example of a boundary, that that's not really my responsibility. I mean, it's always our responsibility to be kind. It's always our responsibility to, to pray for others. But we do need to always, like, keep in mind 
our own boundaries, what our needs are, and our state in life as well. And I've seen many bad things happen when people try to work, work outside of those boundaries. All right. So mm-hmm. if I know that, you know, I, I owe this time to my husband, I can't necessarily be spending that with a friend. Again, once in a while, it's fine. In a healthy relationship, your husband's going to understand that. Let's say your, your mother needs you to do something. Okay, great. But you can't be at your mom's house every night when you have other things that are important, like young children. Yeah. So I think and, that would be one of the first things I would look at. Yeah. And this can get really tricky because, you know, there can be all of these entanglements, you know, and the expectations that maybe uh, come from family of origin, you know, dynamics and oh, things yeah. that, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know, you can feel really, really guilty, but I'll tell you, um, and really responding out of, of guilt. But I loved so much of what mm-hmm. you were saying in terms of boundaries, but this is an area, too, where our Catholic Church has has a good bit to say about this if we keep in mind our it, it really in the fourth commandment if you if you dig a little bit into the catechism and the fourth commandment of honor your father and your mother which expands far beyond just your mother and father mm-hmm. it really gives the order of the family and of priority and vocation and responsibility mm-hmm. For you in your state of life and where God is calling you to help you make those decisions. It was very helpful to me a number of years ago to try to help sort out some some expectations that, that I had, not only of myself, um, but of in, in family situations and, you know, in, in work situations, just all around. And I found that so, so helpful. And I often refer people there, too, because, you know, you gave mm-hmm. a, a great scenario with, you know, your primary vocation and responsibility being to your husband, and yet here's this friend or perhaps um, another parent or a sibling that is vying for that attention that is outside of the the healthy bounds and the bounds established really by God. And so Mm -hmm. it can help you really prayerfully discern, where am I supposed to be tonight at 7 (laughs) p.m.? You know, on on the ground decisions, yeah? Right, and then I think we have to look at the – intensity of whatever the problem is, all right? So if your neighbor calls and she just sliced her thumb off and she needs to go to the emergency room and nobody's home and this is your night to spend home with your husband, obviously that's a need that she's not extorting from you. <laughs> she right. needs that. And we, we have to, you know, those, those situations, let's say caring for an elderly parent. And a lot of people are in that situation today that we call it the sandwich generation. You've got children at home, but you've got elderly parents who need you. So I think it's a matter of, you know, is this person able to help themselves? And I think that yes. you see a lot of people that they really, they're not willing to do what they want, but what they need to do to help themselves, but they keep wanting you to do something. Yes. So you have to look at that. And when somebody's, when you make suggestions, all right, listen, I, I know you're out of work. I'm really sorry. I, I'd like to help you, but are you looking for a job? And they're not actually taking the steps to do that. Then you have to say, all right, wait a minute. You know what? This is not, this is not right. And this is not just. And it also actually hurts people when we help them too much when they can help themselves, and particularly children. We, you know, if they can mm. sound out the word, don't necessarily spell it for them. You want people to have this sense of, of control over their lives. But, right. you know, it's interesting, you know, I had written another article, I think it was on Mind Spirit, when victims become bullies. Ooh. And I think that we all experience that, that, you know, so people sometimes, and many people see themselves as victims. And oh, yeah. because they view themselves that way, they actually become bullies. You know, you have to take care of me. You have to, like, you know, cut me some slack because I'm a victim here. And we've got to really guard against that. 
Absolutely. And you become um, an object that is being manipulated, which is not, you know, yeah. the vision that God has for us as gift of self towards one another. And I think, right. gosh, I think, I think that psychology and the, and the social sciences and, and the medical sciences have so much to offer us in this area where things get so, so tricky when in these moment to moment decisions, such as what you're speaking about today. There was a point yeah. earlier, Allison, that you made where you were speaking about George uh, Bailey and Mr. Potter, and you were talking about the character specifically of George Bailey, where we were able to attach to him earlier on in the movie. We were able to see the goodness mm-hmm. of his heart, and where we don't know, I don't, at least I don't recall from the movie, as much about Mr. Potter, but you definitely get you know <laughs> a, a different uh, feel from, from Mr. Potter. But, yeah, and, you know, where there's there, – you know, he's past redemption. I don't know. It's a movie. You know, we could talk about that. Right, right. But, but there was something that you said that's fully escaping me at the moment as, as to what you exactly said, but it, but it stimulated a point to me in that when we can think beyond the moment of why is this person being so irritable with me or why is this person expecting so much of me, when we can begin to take in the gift of that whole person in that moment and and mm-hmm. think beyond to what is truly at the root here, it can help us right. to respond uh, more lovingly and more kindly and as a gift of self and in turn increase our compassion for this person. Absolutely. You know, I made a little note Absolutely. here, arrow up compassion. <laughs> so I wanted to circle back <laughs> to that because that has been something um, you just, just in people that I encounter in these very complex and difficult situations that has been very freeing for them. And it also mm-hmm. has been for me as well. When we've had to deal with people who are more in the, let's in the spectrum of Mr. Potter, let's say, than in the spectrum mm-hmm. of George Bailey, just having a bad moment. You know, mm-hmm. as a bad moment in life right. versus Mr. Potter, right. where it's more of an ingrained pattern. Can you talk a little bit right. about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's interesting because obviously these are characters in movies. We all, I think, have to think about Ebenezer Scrooge, who's very similar to Mr. Potter. But the, you know, the angels come and show him, you know, his, the, you know, um, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, where he's headed with that. You know, so, you know, and, and nobody is beyond redemption, even like your your worst mother-in-law. You know, everybody, yeah. nobody's beyond redemption. And right. I think that we have to be mindful of what example we're setting with people like that. Are we going to respond in kind, and then you just get into, like, kind of a, a war with them? Or do you just accept them where they're at, you know, and not expect that much more from them? You know, like, you know, we, we want to call them up higher, you know, but... Right. Um, Sometimes you just have to accept where they're at and be kind. You know, sometimes I, I know um, when my mother was in and out of, you know, when she broke her hip and stuff and rehab and nursing homes and stuff like that. I mean, there were some people that were just so miserable and you, you just felt so sorry for them and nobody visited them. And, you know, you just have to accept them where they're at. I'm not, a, you know, I wasn't about to judge, well, maybe nobody visits because you're a horrible mother. Right, <laughs> but, that's right. But, you know, whatever it was, that, that you want to address their pain there. And what can I do for them in that moment? And it might be just getting them a glass of water and showing kindness. That's you right. know, I think we're, we're all really responsible for modeling our, you know, good behavior. Um, and not in not in a, an obsequious way where we're trying to get everybody's approval and, and kissing up to people, but just be, you know, kind. Genuinely but, but kind, again, yeah. Yeah, genuinely kind, but within your boundaries, you know, because right. when you think about this, just, you know, I was in New York City recently, and 
oh, God, and it's heartbreaking when you see so many homeless people and you don't know, okay, are they drug addicts if they give them money? You know, we can be kind in that moment. You can buy them a sandwich. You can give them, a, you know, say a prayer. You know, so we can be kind in those moments but still, you know, be prudent, you know, sometimes right. when we're dealing with people. Yes, and so, and I think it depends upon all of these parameters that we've been talking about, both vocation and state of life and the level of relationship. So I'm wondering, Allison, what your comment might be about, maybe more so in those familial or friend kind of relationships, when it might be time for the person on the receiving end to prayerfully discern a step back. I mean, I guess a prayerful discernment is always, you know, ongoing, but at what point might it be appropriate for someone to take a step back because it's just, you know, sucking the life out of them and they're not able to be kind in return? Right. Well, I think that's, that's I think, an important part. How am I feeling in this? All right? Because if you're truly helping somebody and you know that they're actually making progress with your help, it's energizing. But when they're just, you know, just like you said, sucking the life out of you or just here's my problem, plunk, and now it's mine to solve for them, that's when you, you know, so I think you have to look at your own feelings here and say, what are they saying? And I remember um, years ago when I was in supervision and um, dealing with, let's say, a borderline personality person that can really challenge every one of your boundaries. And I remember my supervisor said that the way you start to figure it out is that you start to hate them and you can't understand why. And it's because every boundary is being pushed and manipulated. So when you start feeling that way, you need to stop and maybe talk to somebody, maybe talk to a professional, talk to a friend who has good boundaries and say, you know, I don't want to be selfish here, but I'm feeling, you know, like I'm really starting to resent so-and-so because I just feel like they're asking too much of me. Is it me? <laughs> or, you know, are they, are they, you know, is there something out of bounds here? You know, because I think, especially with family members, we're so tied into systems here. And there's, you know, habits and patterns that it, it often takes somebody from the outside, like a good therapist, to look in and be able to identify. So we don't even realize, you know, it's very predictable. I do A, he does B, she does C. I do A, you know, so we look at that and say, all right, how do I, how do I break that pattern? Sometimes it's just, you know, trying something new, trying something different. I remember once um, I was on the phone with a friend and he was talking about his health insurance had gone up and this is long before it got as bad as it is now. And I told him, I said, you ought to look at this company. I'm doing much better with it. And I'm trying to talk him into it. He kept coming up with excuses. And I, I literally had the papers in my hand in my file cabinet. And then I realized, what am I doing? I said, you know what? I dropped, I remember dropping the papers and said, pay more. He goes, what? I'm like, pay more. I'm like, this is not my problem. You're like, you were annoying me with this, you know? So pay pay more. If you really want my help, then ask me. But if you're going to keep playing this game with me, I don't want to talk. I don't want to play anymore. You know, so sometimes that has to be the key. If somebody doesn't want to get a job, but they don't want to do something to better themselves, or they're in a bad relationship and they just keep repeating the pattern, well, you know what? Stay. You know, I will help you if you really want to get out of this situation. But unless you demonstrate to me these actions that you really want to change this, I can't be pulled into this. It's draining me. I can't right. do this anymore. Yeah. You know, so our feelings are really, really, really important to monitor. Yes. But think about that. What does that take? Prayer time? Yes. Quiet time? If we're connected to social media all the time and radio and TV and everything else, we don't have time to think. So we wind up just kind of reacting to life. So I think we all need to kind of pull back sometimes. What am I feeling about this situation? 
You know, and then if you're not sure, talk to somebody and kind of run a test them. Like, I'm, you know, like, how do I, how, am I not seeing this correctly? I, this is how I feel. Am I being selfish? It's good to get another perspective from a healthy person. Yes. And thank God for those people in our lives that can kind of, you know, right our yeah. right the ship. You know what I mean? It, it begins because mm-hmm. we're human too, Allison. And I mean, we, we, we have big hearts and we care. And when you're involved directly in a situation, we can be blind to certain aspects that if someone else were having the situation, would you know, we're advising them, we would be very clear. You know, but, right. but when you're getting, right. that's, that's the power of manipulation. Sometimes you, you don't see it right at first. It's very insidious. Right. right. And then we have to look at our own, you know, like how are we meeting our own needs with this? I remember somebody used the term, the tyrannical heart. All right. Is our heart a tyrant that we must obey all the time? You know, that we need to guide that by reason. And again, like, like you mentioned, the church really lays it out for us. What is our state in life? Is this, is this good or bad in general terms? Like, is this sinful? You know, if somebody says, oh, I really need money. I need, you know, can you help me rob a bank? Obviously, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll try to help you find money, but I can't go to that extent. You know, but is it, is it okay for me to take money away from, let's say, something my children need to help a family member? You know, so I think we got to really think about those things and say, all right, wait a minute, I have to really think. Is this legitimate? Is this really okay? Yes. And I love you, you're bringing up, you know, ultimately it reminds me of that, the scripture, do you want to be well? You know, some mm-hmm. of the things you were saying earlier, yeah. really, that was really coming up into my heart. Because sometimes, you know, people will say, well, yes, of course, but your behavior says otherwise. Do you know? Exactly. And you're sucking the life out of me. Not that we would ever say that. Maybe we would. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes you do have to be that blunt. Like, I feel like you're hooking up an IV and taking my blood out here. Yeah, and sometimes we become an occasion of sin for that other person because we allow them to continue to take bites out of us such that they don't get the help they need to truly become well, right? Right, right. And I think think particularly with children, we want to, you know, who we're responsible for, you want to encourage them to be self-sufficient and to solve their problems. So sometimes, you know, when we see overly indulgent parents who do everything for those kids, those those kids don't tend to turn out too well. You know, so sometimes, you know, forcing them to be resourceful, forcing them to figure out their problems, of course, in a loving way, in a supportive way, and being there, you know, to help them. But sometimes we need to let them, you know, kind of work out their problems and not just dump them on us. And that's not just, you know, particular kids because we're responsible for them, but other people too. And certainly as therapists, we know that, that... I can't solve your problems. If you come in week after week after week and you're not willing to put the action steps, I'm going to start to confront you about that. Like, do you really want to change this? That's right. That's exactly right. Well, it is always an awesome time to spend with you, Allison Ricciardi, here on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. And I'm so grateful to you for being with us today. Tell people how we can get in touch with you and to find more of your work. Okay. The RaphaelRemedy.com is my... um, practice website, the RaphaelRemedy.com, and um, you'll find my blog post there. CatholicTherapist.com also um, is another website um, that I run, and we also have a great blog there, and um, I blog there, and also many of our member therapists do, so there's really good information there. So uh, those would be the two ways, just you know, shoot us an email or um, give us a call. Amen. Well, thank you so much. God bless you, Allison, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Stacey. God bless you. God bless you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Faith and Good Counsel Show, my dear listeners. And until next time, Pox Christi, y'all. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.